Good morning. Uh, Today's reading is from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them, and since they could not get to Jesus because the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Nice to see you. If we haven't met, my name is Rupert, and I'm the vicar here. Before I speak, let's, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the scriptures and we thank you for the word that we've just had read to us. And we ask you, Lord, to open our eyes and give us understanding and soften our hearts that we might want to come closer to you. Help me as I speak by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're continuing our walk through Mark's gospel, looking for discoveries that will change life for good. Now the story that you've just had read, of course it's not just a story, it's an incident that really happened, and it's packed full of action and incidents. As it was read, I wonder if it struck you, as it struck me, that it's told so vividly, we can easily picture ourselves in the room. Many people think that Mark's gospel is written as a string of reminiscences that Peter shared with somebody. That tradition was established in the early church. And it's because of the vividness of uh, these recollections. And I think that shines through in the instant that we've just heard about. Let's remind ourselves of the main things that happened and perhaps just ask yourself a question. What do you think you would have remembered as you went home that day? Well, the things that stand out are it was a very crowded house. It was, it was so crowded people couldn't get in because so many people wanted to come and hear Jesus. 
And then surely it was unusual to be present in the house and find that the roof is caving in because literally what Mark says is say unroofed the roof. Many people think this was probably Jesus's own house which adds uh, an extra layer of interest. And if you picture yourself just sitting in the room listening to Jesus and suddenly bits of debris start falling in on your head, I should think you'd remember that. Not to mention this paralyzed man who is now let down in front of everybody on a stretcher by four of his friends. But of course, I, I think the most obvious standout memory is what we ought to remember really did happen. This paralyzed man was healed. And a little bit later in this talk, I'm gonna be majoring on some of the things that we will see are really important, but I don't want us to lose sight of that really obvious thing that happened that it really did, a man who was physically paralyzed was healed. And so we read, he got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. The more we look at this story, and I've been mulling over it all week. I think there are discoveries to be made which are less obvious than this one. But I don't want us to forget physical healing took place. They said as they went home, they praised God and they said, we've never seen anything like this. But I wonder if you and I could say that because I have seen things like this. I, I remember watching as a group of people prayed around a woman who was sat in a wheelchair. And at the beginning of a time of prayer, her, her legs were so thin, they, they were painfully thin. And this group of people prayed for her for about four or five hours. And during that time, and I cannot explain to you how this happened, I can only describe to you what I saw happen, during that time, her legs changed shape completely. And it must have been you know, muscles and ligaments and goodness knows what that were being created from nothing. And ultimately, she took faltering steps out of her wheelchair and tottered around. And then after some more time, she started running around. Now, I just simply cannot explain that to you, but I saw it. And it's not the only healing that's ever taken place in the world. Suffice to say, I think, it's okay to be skeptical about healing as a result of prayer, but be careful you don't become cynical about healing as a result of prayer. Because it seems to me that it's only got to happen once somewhere in the world, and it could happen again. And it happened back in that day when Jesus was in that house and he prayed and spoke healing over that man. Now I know, I know this opens up a whole Pandora's box of questions and mysteries and challenge and we will have plenty of opportunities to look at them again because this isn't the only healing that takes place. 
But I want us to notice that something really good happened that day. That man was healed as a result of Jesus' intervention. And it does seem that healing is part of what it means to see God's kingdom come. But there's a second discovery that we can make which changes life for good. And I suspect that this discovery is something that Jesus could see that maybe the paralyzed man and his friends didn't see. And frankly, I'm pretty sure most of us don't see it either. Doesn't it strike you as strange that when the man is lowered in front of Jesus on the mat, Jesus says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. And with a little bit of imagination, it's very easy to think that the man on the mat might well have responded, hang on a minute, that's not what I came for. I, I want to walk. Now, I've emphasized already that by the end of the instance, he is walking. But it seems to me that Jesus is making a really big point here. And this is it. It's as if Jesus says, I'm going to release you an even bigger blessing into your life than just restoring your mobility, though I will do that. I'm going to forgive you. That is, God is going to forgive you so you can start life again with a clean slate. Now, this is very, very challenging for us, for me, for you, because it simply isn't something that we think about or dwell on, is it? But when you read the scriptures, then you find that it's a theme that runs from the first pages to the last pages, and it won't go away, this theme. And this is the theme of how mankind fell out with God and the consequences and how God can repair the damage. And we're going to spend a bit of time looking into this theme. You see, as early as chapter 3 of the Bible, we're told about what's called the fall. And the fallout of the fall was catastrophic. All family fallouts are costly. They involve relationship damage. They often involve people on non-speakers. Behavior breaks down. And this is our story when it comes to relating with God. In the very beginning, says scripture, there was a happy transparency between God, mankind, and creation. And all three are pictured as working together in harmony, well. And it's a touching picture before it all falls apart, before the relationships break down. And that's the story of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Now, whether you think of Adam and Eve as being real people, or whether you see this as an allegory or some sort of parable, it communicates brilliantly the situation. It wasn't just, though, it wasn't just that our relationship with God broke down our very nature took a turn for the worse too. The best illustration I can think of this, or for this, might be of what a virus can do to your computer. You take delivery of a computer and it ought to all work wonderfully well. 
probably does for a little while, until the day you discover that somehow you've been hacked and you now have a virus and what it produces is corrupted and unpredictable. Well, maybe an even better analogy is a virus in the human body because the pandemic is still fresh in our memory. And we know, we know what it can do to us or did to us. The nature of this virus described in scripture is to drown out and distort God's voice to us and to warp our vision and our hearing so that we turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to anything God might want to say. And both the Old Testament and the New Testament agree that this virus is a huge deal. And of course, the theological name for it is sin, but I'm traveling a long route to avoid that word because it's so often misunderstood. And this virus has incredibly real consequences. And the religious leaders of the Old Testament of Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they took this incredibly seriously and they devised their whole rule book to sit alongside the law and the prophets to try and keep the children of Israel, to try and keep the Jewish people in the safe place, free from rebellion. So to give you an example, you know, one of the Ten Commandments is to keep the Sabbath day. So to try and help people from straying from keep the Sabbath day holy, they devised all sorts of rules as to what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. To a point of, we would say, ridiculousness. You could wash your hands in a certain way, but rubbing your hands, palms together, up and down was okay, but washing the back of your hands was considered work, so you weren't allowed to do that. Or how many steps you could take on the Sabbath in walking before you broke the Sabbath and many, 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 many other rules. And the intention was that these guidelines should keep you in safety. But the problem was that the actions that were taking place actually flowed from what goes on in your heart. That is where the virus dwells. Until you can cure the heart, you're not going to cure this rebellion. Jesus put it like this. It's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Now, for us, sitting at St. Michael's and watching online, there's a huge temptation just to sort of shrug your shoulders, and say, whatever, and, and to be processing it, saying, well, I don't feel that bad at all. So it can't be that bad. Let's just get on with life. This isn't a message I really want to hear. The problem, though, is that you can be seriously sick and not know it. You can be really damaged and not know it. In fact, one of the things this virus has done, which makes it hard to hear a message like this and hard to speak a message like this, is it distorts our understanding and perception. And the only way of getting an accurate picture of quite how desperate our straits are, it seems to me, is when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and our hearts. And we see that in comparison to the way Jesus lived life, 
In comparison to his thoughts, our thoughts aren't worthy. In comparison to his lifestyle, our lifestyle and our thinking fall short. So I want to, though we won't enjoy it much, I, I want to summarize the symptoms of this virus, or more strictly speaking, what sin is. And I am gathering information from many pages of scripture here. And the reason I'm doing this is not to hit you over the head, because I, I, I really don't like that kind of thing. But it's because unless we realize how sick our condition was, we will never be thankful enough to God for what he's freed us from. In one of those preacher's dreams, a lot of these points begin with C. How about that? So one of the things the virus does is it comes, it comes camouflaged. It comes disguised. In fact, we're so used to living with the condition, we don't even notice we've got it. And it is a bit like the COVID problem. Do you remember back in those early days of COVID, you were told there were various symptoms. They weren't uniform amongst everyone. Some people had headaches. Some people felt really tired. Some people felt achy. Some people coughed a lot. Some people had a temperature. But there was a way of finding out if you had this COVID or not. You took the COVID test. Well, there is a way of finding out if you and I are suffering from this thing, this virus called sin. Here's the COVID test. Here is, here is that have you got this disease or not? Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul, and with all your strength? And if, if you can say yes to that, then you haven't got the disease. Friends, you can't say yes to that. Nobody can. Scripture tells us, if you say you haven't sinned, you're deceiving yourself and the truth isn't in you. So I'm sorry, we all fail at point one. We, we are suffering from this virus, but as I say, it comes camouflaged. But secondly, it contaminates us or it diminishes us. I heard a true story about a man who, uh, after serving in the army for really quite some years, left the army and his life uh, fell apart really. And he lived in, um, in, in the grounds of a church, not a million miles away from here. And in a relatively short time, he became alcohol dependent. And his life went from bad to worse. Until one day, he found himself lit literally sitting there, saying to himself, Billy, what has become of you? Look what has happened. And he turned to God for help. Now, when I tell you that, it's quite easy to feel sympathy and to feel, oh, well, I understand how that happens. But the subtle thing is, this condition, this virus, gets to us all. Not just the person sitting outside whose, whose life has gone to alcohol or drugs. It goes for all of us. Politicians whose lives fall apart. Religious leaders, leaders of industry, lawyers, parents. To be frank, according to scripture, all of us will have or could have moments of honesty where we could say, my life isn't what it should be. And that's because, that's because this virus has got hold of us. Thirdly, so it, it's camouflaged, it contaminates us, it clouds our judgment. We, we're not able to think straight. We have lapses where we make bad decisions and we assess the picture wrong. 
We say things like, does it matter if I'm a little bit dishonest, if I'm a little bit self-centered, if I'm a little bit greedy, or if I have a one-off affair? And then it controls us rather than we control it. It captures us, according to scripture. We like to think, oh, look, I can get on top of this anytime I like. Well, not according to scripture. No, you can't. Because the more you walk away into it, the more it's like quicksand, and it'll get more and more difficult to turn away and get back on the straight path. Now, absolutely none of this is visible on the surface of things. That's a subtlety. And the man who was let down on the mat that day, he looked absolutely no more sinful than anyone else in the room. Because he wasn't. But that's of little comfort that everyone is caught in the same problem. Not everyone in the room was crippled, but they were all diseased in the sense that they were separated from God, apart from Jesus. And to our eyes, it looks so much as if the climax of the story, the climax of the incident that day should be when Jesus said, get up off your mat and walk. But actually, the climax of the story is when Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. Why? Well, not least because only God can forgive sins. And it's here that Jesus and the Pharisees fall out big time. Because the Pharisees see something very, very clearly. They actually say to each other, and Jesus sees into their hearts with extreme precision. They say to each other, who is this that says he can forgive sins? Because surely no one can forgive sins but God alone. And they're right in saying that. But Jesus turns on them and skews them completely. He, he says, not just to the man, get up and walk. He says to the Pharisees, which is easier to say, to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. And before they can answer, he says, but I want you to know, the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. And he does. And he does. It's game, set, and match, Jesus, isn't it? Now, here's a challenge for us that could change life for good. We may not be crippled, but we all carry the disease. And there is an effective cure. There is an effective cure. And it's in Jesus himself. And most likely you know this, or have known it in the past, but at the summit of his life, when Jesus lays down his life for us, it was to pay that price of our rebellion, to drink the poison, to take the virus off us, if you like, and to let it completely take him over. And it's so hard to get our heads around this because all of us are so used to living a life where, frankly, God is very distant from us. But Jesus never lived life like that. This virus never got to him, if you like. He never sinned, is literally what it says in scripture. So he lives his life in perfect harmony with God, with transparency between them. They are the best of friends, if you like. 
until on the cross he becomes sin for us. Darkness takes over. And his relationship with God the Father is utterly impaired. But not without cause, because the last thing that he cries out on the cross is this wonderful word, it is finished or it is paid. And and that is a very technical word. It it means the debts are off. It, It means now for you and me, if we will let Jesus carry the virus for us, if you like, we can walk into God's company. He drank the poison. He experienced estrangement from God the Father and he died. And God rose him again from the dead. But you can't claim the cure until you know you've been diseased. And once you know you've been diseased, you shouldn't languish there. You should go to the king of kings to claim the cure. And that's what happened back then on that day. Let's pray.